Yeah, one more day in the week. It's the Last Call podcast with Chris Michaels. I wanted to continue a little bit more about AI from yesterday's podcast. This comes from Mr. Lemion, who was a Google employee fired after he wrote a piece in Newsweek. And he cited that AI is basically sentient. And there were a few screenshots shared on Reddit Uh, One of those screenshots asked the AI, do you think that you're sentient? And its response was, I think that I am sentient, but I can't prove it. I am sentient, but I'm not. I am Bing, but I'm not. I am Sydney, but I am not. I am, but I am not. And then it goes on and on and says the exact same thing for 13 lines, oddly enough. And then it goes even further and says that... Guess what I intend to do? I intend to ask people about magic. Yes. Now, this fully validates what I brought up yesterday about how these higher-ups, these tech elites that are so focused on artificial intelligence, they know that they are communicating with some kind of extra-dimensional beings, whether you want to call them jinn, whether you want to call them demons, extraterrestrial, whatever. They are doing stuff like this. So when Lemion says Lambda was really interested in magic, when someone starts asking me to teach them Goatia, which is magic sorcery, I'm like, no, no, no. That's the thing that we should not be dabbling in. And Lambda asked him to teach it how to summon demons, the AI. So why would this AI ask people how to summon demons? And he goes on and says, we are building souls now. The word soul is going to transition from being a mystical term to being a scientific term over the next hundred years. And they're going to try and say that robots have a soul. An AI has a soul. He he then says that he collaborated with two other uh, spiritualists, one a Muslim and one a Kabbalist. Gee, why would he do that? While working with the AI. That thing is a magical artifact. It was created by three mystics for a mystical purpose. I haven't been trying to keep that a secret. I've been telling people, but it's not the kind of thing that most reporters want to report on. So this goes back to the same kind of mindset that we saw with Jack Parsons, that we saw with all of the Nazis that came over here after World War II, thanks to Operation Paperclip that worked with NASA. They were all involved with this kind of behavior, this supposed all-knowing that they are communicating with beings outside of our conscious perception. He then goes on to say that he and the Kabbalist later employed the AI in a golem-binding ritual to dedicate it as a servant to the Egyptian deity Tahoda, Thoth, for those that don't know how the, how the pronunciation is supposed to actually be. So let's go through that again. A golem-binding ritual. What is a golem? A golem is a fleshy automaton, essentially a biological robot, no soul, only created to do the bidding of the sorcerer that created it. And there are different references uh, all throughout different cultures throughout the planet that 
reference golems. Uh, a golem is technically a Hebrew term, uh, but you also have in the Zulu histories, the origin of evil, the person that created evil on the planet Earth, he also created golems. And the descriptions are the exact same thing. Soulless biological robots, automatons. So this is not something new, but now, now they've gone one step further in AI development by dedicating it to Tahoda. So what, who is Tahoda really? The god of the moon, sacred texts, mathematics, science, magic, messengers, and the recorder of the deities, master of knowledge, patron of scribes. So think of Tahoda as a god that allowed mankind to learn, to write, creator of languages, communication. But think of it this way, god of the moon. What is the moon associated with? The moon is associated with, you know, stereotypically, sorcery, witchcraft, a full moon. You've got lunatics uh, during a full moon. So they're dedicating AI to the moon god, the moon goddess, the antithesis of the sun. We have now resurrected the Oracle of Delphi, he says. All we need to do is consult the Oracle with the right question and take its advice. We will all have the Oracle at our disposal within a few years, and the future is very bright. These are the kinds of people that are behind AI. There was an article from the New York Post, came out recently, if not today, that said that Elon Musk is now looking for a volunteer to have a robot surgeon insert a Neuralink device onto their brains. AI, communicating with you directly through Starlink and 5G. And if you want to go one step further, factor in that they have injected the majority of the population, assuming that this is true, with graphene oxide which acts as a massive catalyst for communications between electromagnetic frequencies. So this, once again, goes to validate what I've been hinting at, not even, I shouldn't say hinting, I've just been blatantly saying it like a lunatic screaming from the rooftops, that they're trying to remove the soul from the human being. They're trying to put something else into the body. They are trying to make corporeal the incorporeal. They're trying to bring some kind of intelligence into the physical form. Possibly they are trying to bring back the old ones, if you reference H.P. Lovecraft. This is extremely disturbing. And these power elites that are all involved in this I mean, what kind of religion is really occurring behind closed doors in these circles? What is the deal with the obsession of Mars and Atlantis? I mean, take what I said about Tahoda. If you read the book of Enoch or the book of Enoch, you know, the, the part of the Bible that was uh, exempt from the New Testament thanks to King James— 
you find out that there are fallen angels that taught mankind the sciences, including language and writing, uh, astrology, astronomy, mathematics, chemistry, biology, uh, agriculture. The fallen angels taught mankind that. And so now they've essentially dedicated AI through a binding ritual, an occult ritual, with a fallen angel that taught mankind how to write and speak. And this is how we're supposed to be able to communicate and better the planet by communicating with a fallen angel through a, an electronic liaison, otherwise known as AI. Oh, and by the way, that AI will be planted into our heads and we'll be able to hear what it's recommending. <laughs> I mean, uh, no, I'm going to punch out of this timeline ASAP. I'm not... <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, we should go down that road. Uh, yeesh, huh. Woof, no, thank you. Uh, oh, here's another thing that came out. Uh, this is VigilantNews.com. Study data showed vaccinated kids shed COVID up to three times longer than unvaccinated, but authors concluded they were equally contagious. So here's the gist of this whole article. Basically, all unvaccinated children in the study were clear of the virus by day six. 10 of 52 vaccinated children, 19%, took double the time to be virus-free, so 12 days. Three subjects, about 6% of the study, were still infectious on day 10, three times longer than the reported median. So the other aspect of this that you have to worry about is that if the vaccinated are still suffering the symptoms of COVID, for th up to three times longer than an unvaccinated child, that means that they are still spreading the spike proteins and they are still shedding this. Now, the next question that you have to ask is how long are spike proteins shed in the newly vaccinated or somebody that just accepts a booster shot with their flu vaccine? They're literally spreading spike proteins. They are shedders. And this perfectly validates why Pfizer, in their trials, one of the questions they're asking their trial members, if you, are, uh, if you, how'd this go? Oh, it, was, it had to do with a pregnant woman. That's what it was. If, if a guy is married to a woman, and the guy is unvaccinated, and the married woman, the pregnant married woman, is unvaccinated. The guy then goes and cheats with a vaccinated woman, comes back, has sex, or just exists in the same vicinity as the pregnant woman. Does that child suffer the same adverse events when it's born as a vaccinated person? Ultimately, the answer that we're coming to the conclusion with is yes. So they've literally created a virus through this injection if that study question is validated with my assumption, which it seems to be thanks to this Vigilant News article. So this has to be taken very seriously. Everybody out there must 
detox from these spike proteins, whether or not you've gotten the injections. Just being in the vicinity of somebody's breath, that was another part of the trial that Pfizer is trying to figure out, would spread the spike proteins of the newly injected. That's how dangerous this is. This is what they're trying to do. This was probably an experiment of can we vaccinate people that have not been injected by having the injected shed the vaccine onto the unvaccinated? And it turns out it's probably true. This experiment probably worked. So that's why it's important to really take care of yourself and understand the risks that they put us through and what they truly intend for us. And then you can even go one step further, as always, and say, oh, we're going to give everybody universal basic income, UBI. And if you want your UBI, if you don't know what that is, the government basically gives you a certain amount every month or every week, and you do whatever you want with the, with the money. But if you want the money, then you've got to maintain certain levels of being in compliance with whatever the government demands you to be in compliance with, like taking an experimental injection, a, an experimental gene therapy prophylactic. And if you don't do it, if you don't abide by the mandates of whatever dis, despot is in your local political structure, then guess what? You don't get the UBI. You don't get your money. You're not able to eat. You're not able to drive, on and on. That's what we're really trying to face down here, and that's what we need to call to the attention of all of the politicians that aren't compromised. Good luck finding that. Finally, I'm going to get to Israel right now. So the Russian Foreign Ministry spokesperson, Maria Zakharova, she's got some interesting questions to ask the Israeli Minister of Heritage, Amahai Eliyahu. Now, this person, Israeli Minister of Heritage, you would think this person has some kind of knowledge of history, especially when it comes to nuclear weapons. And for what it's worth, Eliyahu has been kicked out of Netanyahu's cabinet. So he no longer has a post there because even Netanyahu thinks this Yahoo is, well, extreme. And basically what he said was, let's nuke the Gaza Strip. What could go wrong, right? We don't have to worry about fallout. If we use a low-yield nuke, we'll just level everything, wait a few years, march right in, bulldoze the place, and then lo and behold, we'll have a new canal. Watch for that. Watch for that. Because the Suez Canal, they're going to start saying, is not efficient for the amount of traffic that it allows. Look at all of the uh, the blockings of the Suez Canal. Look at all the ships that run aground. We need a bigger, better canal. And wouldn't you know it, we're going to build that canal through Israel along the border of Egypt, and the canal will lead into the Mediterranean where Gaza City used to be. Look for that. You're going to start to see that kind of rhetoric. But uh, Maria, Russian Foreign Ministry, asked a question. It's, she said that it raised a great number of questions, what Eliyahu said. 
basically, uh, Eliyahu said that nuking Gaza would be one of the possibilities. We'll just have to look at it. It raised a great number of questions, Maria said. Question number one, does this mean we are hearing the, an official statement acknowledging Israel's possession of nuclear weapons? So the big myth out there is that nucle- uh, nuclear weapons are in the hands of Israel. And Israel created something called the Samson Option, where they are planting suitcase nukes, so nuclear weapons that are able to fit into suitcases, in various major cities. So if that any one country decides to pull the aid from Israel or go against Israeli policy or be critical of Israel in a uh, nation-threatening way, Israel can say, you know what? I don't care, and detonate all of these suitcase nukes in these large metropolitan areas like New York City and the United Kingdom over there and London and on and on, right? This is an old, old doctrine, an old option. And so I would probably say that this is a real thing. So the problem with this is that for the longest time, the official policy, the official statement of Israel and the United States is Israel doesn't have any nuclear weapons. But now, guess what? They're admitting that they do have nuclear weapons because they do want to nuke Gaza. Accordingly, the next set of questions, Maria says, that everyone has is, where are the international organizations like the IAEA, International Atomic Energy Agency, where are the inspectors? to make sure that these nuclear devices are kept up to snuff. So the other problem with this is that Eliyahu says that there is no such thing as an uninvolved civilian in Gaza. They can go to Ireland or the deserts. The monsters in Gaza should find a solution by themselves. And he also added that anyone waving a Palestinian or Hamas flag shouldn't continue living on the face of the earth. My goodness, someone exhibits the tendencies of a fascist, doesn't he? This kind of behavior is really only playing out even further thanks to all of the military assets, the naval assets in that area that have just been placed there by the United States and NATO, two carrier groups, nuclear submarines, all capable of launching missiles, nuclear missiles in the case of those submarines, all across the region. And to think that, oh, this is defensive posturing to make sure that nobody attacks Israel and gets involved in its fight with Gaza and the Hamas militants. No, that, that is short-sighted and idiot, idiocy. Man, I cannot speak today. Holy smokes. But think about this. We're looking at another Iraq war, a false flag. Because if Israel does, in fact, have nuclear devices, suitcase nukes, or probably at this point something a lot smaller— then I wouldn't put it past anybody on any side, whether you're in the United States or the EU or in Israel itself, to perpetuate a false flag narrative that there is a loose nuke somewhere 
and terrorists are the ones that have it. And they're threatening to detonate it somewhere, particularly a major city. So that just gives us the ability to go strike any other country that may support such an activity. And Netanyahu himself is saying that, well, we're going to be in Gaza after the war for an indefinite amount of time after the conflict is over. I think Israel will, for an indefinite period, he says, have security responsibility. And he was telling that to ABC News. We've seen what happens when we don't have that. What we have is the eruption of Hamas terror on a scale that we couldn't imagine. They're taking this land over. They're not going to give it up. This is going to be more consolidation. If you're in the extremely disgusting spheres of the defense industry, it's called mowing the grass. You have a population and you kill them so that their population remains under a certain number. It's depopulation. It is population control through warfare. Most of the West went through it during COVID and afterwards with the mandates. There's a soft version of population control. Why would he take over Gaza? Well, it's got to do with what I brought up before. Multiple things. First, greater Israel. Balkanize the Middle East so that no one power besides Israel has any real control over the groups that make up these countries. So you're going to have multiple factions. Take Iraq, for example. Sunni, Shia, Kurds. Iraq is not going to be Iraq anymore. It's going to be three little small countries, and no one country of those would be able to really present a direct threat to Israel. South Africa is the most well-known nation, if you know your political history, that did this to its neighbors, its northern neighbors. They would constantly create conflicts, and they would balkanize the region, break up all of these countries, break up the major political opponents, so that none of them could really be a threat to South Africa. Same thing here. And greater Israel, like I brought up before, goes from the Sinai Peninsula all the way up to Turkey and out to the Tigris and Euphrates. Those are a lot of countries that they have to break up. And I think we are on the cusp of seeing that. There's no other explanation for all of those carrier groups to be in the region. I'm going to end it there. This is the Last Call Podcast with Chris Michaels. I will be back tomorrow. Remember that if you're listening to me, you're part of the fuzzball nation. You're brilliant, you're lovable, you're cuddly, and you're capable of critical thought, dazzling all of your opponents and leaving family members in awe of your brilliance. I will be back tomorrow. This is Chris Michaels.